0: or take away and reflect on later. But just to give you a bit of background to the letter, Paul's letters often, as you probably know, are addressed to a specific church in the ancient world that have got a big problem that they're trying to deal with. Romans does do that, like the other letters, but most people accept that actually here, of all of Paul's letters, this is the one where he's sort of stepping back and giving advice and guidance and nourishment to Christians more generally. And you'll see what I mean because we are going to read the whole thing today um, in one go at the end of the talk. So listen out for that. Paul is speaking to not just this one church in Rome. He's speaking to all Christians at that time. But he makes it really clear that he's speaking to all Christians in the present age, in the period after Jesus' death and resurrection. That means he's speaking to you and to us as a church this morning. So try and open your hearts to what Paul is saying to you. The letter is written to you and to us. The other thing that I want to unpack a little bit before we read the letter is that Paul really knew his Old Testament and he expects us to hold a lot in our heads as we read his letters. He expects us to get lots of very subtle references to things that are going on in the Old Testament. And to understand what he's trying to say to us, we have to sort of be aware of what some of those messages are. So I'm going to unpick just two. There are loads more that you could go into. But I'm going to particularly look at how Paul is drawing upon Genesis, the story of how God created the world, made a perfect world for humans, and how we lost it. And also the story of Exodus and how God rescued the people of Israel from slavery. But more than that. The rescue, what I'm going to focus on today, which is what Paul is focusing on, is what happened after the rescue from slavery when the people of Israel were in the wilderness. Because what I think Paul is trying to do to get us to understand that we are those people in the wilderness even now, and he's trying to help us understand what that means for us and what we need to do to eventually get to the promised land. So this letter is for us now and it's about what it means to be a christian now after the death and resurrection of jesus but before the end of the story of us as people of god what paul wants us to do is to understand that we are in the wilderness but also to trust that god will bring us to the promised land and that's really the big picture of this letter and the way that we're going to get there is through the Spirit. And that's why this is in our series on the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to look at is this, how life through the Spirit leads us to glory, how it will lead us to glory, and we can trust that that will happen. Okay. let me just So the first thing that Paul's going to pick up in this letter very clearly fits in with what we've been talking about lots in this church lately, the idea that this is an unfinished story that we have our own unfinished stories, but also that the Bible tells us an unfinished story, that there is still an end to come. You can see this all through Romans 8, but in 8.22, for example, Paul says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, up to the present time, and that includes our time. We've been waiting for something. It's a difficult, painful wait. And Paul also hints that something is yet to come, something really incredible. In 8.18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Something absolutely amazing is coming at the end of the story, but we are not there yet. So the story's unfinished. Jesus' death, even even his resurrection, is not the end of this story. It points to the end, but it isn't the end. There's much, much more to come. So what are we waiting for at the end of the story? No easy answers in Paul, but I can give it to you in one word, glory. It's not an easy word to understand, but we're waiting for glory. So what does that mean for Paul? Well, this is where Genesis comes in. Paul expects us to just know what he means when he makes little sly references to Genesis throughout this letter. What he's actually telling us with all of the references to Genesis that are woven throughout Romans 8 is that when he says we're going to be returned to our glory, us as humans are going to be returned to our full glory, what he means is that we and the world will be restored to exactly how we were at the beginning. That perfect world that God created, with us not just in it, but responsible for it, responsible for its beauty, using our beauty and ourselves in the image of God to make that world more and more beautiful, that's going to happen again. That's the end of the story. That's glory for Paul. It's not just brilliance or dazzling shiny lights or everyone having a lovely time. It's bigger than that, much, much bigger. It's the whole world, the whole of creation, Paul will constantly use creation to talk about the whole world, all of the creatures, the land, everything in it. The whole of creation will be restored, but even more amazingly, we will be restored to our original role, responsible for that creation and all of the beauty in it. So the end of the story is a perfect world with peace, without war, without hunger, without poverty or jealousy, That's where this is going. And we know, we look around us, and we know that we're not there yet. So that's the big story of the Bible that Becca and I spoke about last week. The story of perfect creation and then human failure and eventually us returning to that perfect creation. It's God's big rescue plan. So one of the big ideas in Paul was this idea that we are still waiting. We're waiting for that glory to come. In fact, Paul even says that all of creation is waiting for us. It's a really amazing idea. It's not just us sitting around waiting, thinking when are we going to get back there. The whole of creation, every plant and bird and animal and part of the world is sat there thinking when are humans going to step up and return themselves to where they're supposed to be, responsible for all of this, for making it beautiful and wonderful and perfect?" So we are waiting, yes, but actually we're waiting for ourselves and all of creation is waiting for us to step up. So what happens while we wait? That's where we are at the moment. The clearest thing for me that comes through in Romans 8, and I think this is a really difficult question for us as Christians, and Paul really, really helps me to reflect on this, is that this period is not just about waiting We're not done. We're not just sitting around. There is work to be done. God is still working. He's still got a plan, and he's still got work for us to do as well. Now, Paul does that through the story of Exodus, the story of how the people of Israel were saved from slavery. There's lots of subtle hints in in Romans 8. You'll see if you know the Exodus story, Paul talks about us being careful not to fall back into slavery, phrase I've used already, the idea of creation groaning, waiting to be saved, that is a direct reference to the people of Israel groaning in their slavery, waiting to be rescued. So it's all the way through this letter. And Paul is doing that because Exodus isn't just a story of how God once rescued his people. Exodus shows us the pattern of how God has rescued his people again and again, and how he will continue to rescue his people. It's not just a story. It didn't just happen once. It's what happens next that Paul really wants us to understand. Once the people of Israel are rescued from their slavery, they find themselves in the wilderness. Paul wants us to understand that we have been rescued from slavery, we have been freed by Jesus' death and resurrection. But we are still in the wilderness at the moment. We are yet to get into the promised land. When the people of Israel were rescued from slavery, that was not the end of their story. When they were rescued from slavery, they spent 40 years trying to get into the promised land. They had a long and difficult journey to get there. They spent so long in the wilderness, not because that was God's plan for them, but because they failed to trust in God. They bickered and they argued amongst themselves, they forgot about God, they focused on the issues that were most important to them in that moment, their own hardships and suffering, they were worried about having enough food, they were worried about their enemies defeating them. These were real hardships, they had real suffering, these problems weren't nothing, they weren't to be ignored, but that's where they focused their attention, not on the big questions of what God wanted them to do. And Paul tells us, and we know this ourselves through our own lived experiences, that there will be hardships and suffering in this period. Even after Jesus has died for us, there will still be hardships and suffering while we wait to get to the promised land. But what God did for the people of Israel was he made it as easy as he possibly could for them to trust in him and to follow his plan. And he's done exactly the same for us. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit is actually mentioned 22 times in Romans 8, more than any other chapter in the Bible. And when you read it, it almost feels like it's not a chapter about the Spirit. But it is. The problem is that it connects the Spirit to every other part of a Christian life in a way that no other chapter in the Bible, I think, does as well. That makes it complicated but it really gets across the richness and the depth of what the Spirit means for us now. And that Exodus story can help us to understand some of these ideas. So, what does the Exodus story tell us about the Spirit in Romans 8? First of all, the Spirit is our guide. It's our pillar of fire. In the wilderness, the people of Israel were guided by a pillar of fire of God. Can you imagine a stronger, bolder image for God being there trying to lead the people? It led them through the wilderness. If they just kept their eye on God, on this pillar of fire, they would have been guided out of the wilderness and into the promised land. Paul tells us that the Spirit is our pillar of fire. It helps us to understand and to follow God. But as Paul will tell us, we have to choose to follow that pillar of fire. The second idea, which I think is just absolutely beautiful, is the idea that the Spirit is our first taste of what is going to come. It's our first taste of the end of the story. In the Exodus story, when the people of Israel were trying to get into the Promised Land, they sent spies into the Promised Land. That in itself was an act that was lacking faith. We better check this out for ourselves. I don't trust God that this is the Promised Land. But they sent spies into the promised land. And those spies came back to tell the people of Israel what was waiting for them in this land that God had set aside for them. And they brought back with them some fruits that had been produced. They called them the first fruits. These are the first fruits that we will taste from the promised land. Let's see if it's as good as has been promised. Now, those first fruits, they ate them. But the spies also said, it's scary over there. We're not sure that we'll be safe. We're worried that our enemies will defeat us. There are giants. We'll be wiped out. And they wanted to go back to Egypt and to go back to slavery rather than to step across the border into that promised land that God had given for them. Now, Paul tells us that the Spirit is our first fruits. It's our first taste of what is to come. It's a really complex idea. It could be a whole talk in itself. I can't do it justice, but I want to give it to you as something that you can mull over because I think it's absolutely stunning as an idea. Ever since we failed and lost our glory and polluted God's perfect creation, Paul tells us that we haven't actually been able to understand what God wants for us. We haven't been capable of following God. It hasn't been possible for us because we were so separated from God's plan. We just couldn't understand What he tells us is that the Spirit is the ultimate part of God's rescue plan because it actually gives us a chance, our first ever chance, to live the way that God wanted us to. It gives us our first fruits, our first taste of what this perfect creation is supposed to look like. That is why we don't need a set of rules as Christians to live by not because there's no such thing as right and wrong or because it doesn't matter how we behave because Jesus has already died for our sins. It matters a great deal what we do and what we choose to do. But what we need to do is not to follow any set of rules, but to follow the Spirit, to understand what that perfect creation is going to be like, to understand that first taste, those first fruits of what the world is supposed to be like, and then to help make that happen. We need to get ourselves back to glory so that we can restore God's creation. That's the message of Romans 8. We can't get there by rules, we've tried that. That's what the law was. Paul will talk about how the law failed to bring us back to the promised land. We need to accept the spirit and learn to live by the spirit. What that means for Paul is that we need to tune out our own selfish ideas about what is right and wrong And let the Spirit guide us in our hearts. For me, this is what's happening when you have that feeling, when you're just overflowing with love and compassion towards others and towards the world. It doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen nearly enough for all of us. That's the first fruits. That's the taste of the Spirit. That, when you feel that, that's your taste of what this perfect creation is going to be like. Imagine that world that is coming for us everyone overflowing with love for all creation all of the time. That's glory. When we're ready for that, that will be us in our glory in God's perfect world. It's amazing, but it's also scary. It's scary because it's a huge responsibility. Paul tells us we've got to make it happen. We're not waiting for someone to save us this time. We're what creation is waiting for. Creation is waiting for us to be restored to our glory, us to be God's children again, and to be responsible for all creation. So the final point that that Paul is making throughout, and it's how he opens the chapter, is that the Spirit gives us the chance of life. It gives us the freedom. It washes away our sins so we can be free of punishment and not afraid. But we still have to make a choice. We have to choose to set our mind on God and on the Spirit. We have to choose to start restoring creation. We have to make an actual effort. Paul says this so many times. Don't miss the words he uses. He talks about us setting ourselves on the right track. He talks about what we need to do. We need to put aside selfish thoughts, what Paul calls a life in the flesh, a life that isn't about God and try to grow in our hearts that selfless compassion and love for one another as individuals and as a church. That is what Paul calls a life in the spirit, a life in the flesh or a life in the spirit. That's the choice that we face as Christians. Sometimes Paul doesn't even call it a life in the spirit. He just calls it life because anything other than that is not life in its full glory as we were intended to. Paul's got one final message for us in Romans, which I'm going to read to you shortly. It ends with one of the most inspiring passages in the whole Bible. It's one reason why I want to read the whole thing to you, even though it's long and complicated and difficult. But I want you to hear Paul, because I think when you hear Paul, you'll hear the Spirit talking to you as well. What Paul says at the end of Romans 8 is, how could anything stop us from getting to the promised land? How could anything stop us from getting back to this perfect creation? If God is on our side, who can possibly stand against us? If God was willing to give up his only son to die for us, how could we have any doubt whatsoever that he'll do whatever it takes to restore us to our glory? It's hard and there will be suffering, of course, but we will get to the promised land. We have to trust. We'll be restored to our full glory as God's children, and God will make sure of it. He will keep his promise, and we will see the kingdom of God. So that is the message of Romans 8, that this is an unfinished story, that the end of the story is going to be just like the beginning. We'll be restored to our full glory as God's children with responsibility over the whole world, and it will be perfect. That until then, we're going to continue to suffer and to face difficulties. The world's going to continue to be less than perfect. But that we don't just sit around and wait. We have to choose to live in the Spirit now. We know what this looks like because we've been given a taste, we've been given the first fruits. But we have to work with the Spirit to create this perfect world. It might be hard, but we shouldn't worry how can anything stand in our way if we have God on our side? So I'm going to finish by just reading Romans 8 in full. I'm not going to say any more afterwards, but just give you an opportunity to reflect on what it says, because I can't say anything more than what Paul is going to say to you. All I would ask is that as you listen or read, remember that Paul is speaking to you and to us as a church. Open your hearts to what he's saying. Don't worry if words or ideas or whole phrases escape you or you don't understand them. That's fine. Just focus on what you feel in your heart. If you feel something of the love of God or of the power of the Spirit or of your responsibility, if you feel you need to do more to love others or to show compassion, or if you feel hopeful or excited or optimistic about the future, then that's it. You've got it. You've understood. That's the Spirit. That's your first taste of the promised land. And there is so much more to come. This is Romans 8. Life in the Spirit, where Paul tells us that we can choose. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Paul then goes on to tell us that we are children of God who will be restored. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's Jesus, the firstborn, among us as brothers. In Christ Jesus, our Lord.